What I want to talk about, though, flows off the back of what this preach was actually prepped for two weeks ago when Neil talked about Savior and Lord. And we both prepped a preach that kind of, they work very well together, but we didn't know which way it was going to go. And on the morning sense, Neil must preach on Savior and Lord. And Neil preached about not only that we need a Savior, but that God needs to be our Lord, that Jesus needs to be our Lord. He needs to be the master of our lives. That it's not enough to come through the doorway of salvation, but from then on we need to say, yes, Lord, and allow the Holy Spirit to do a sanctifying work in our hearts. The next Saturday, we went to the, the Hub Connect and Andrew preached and he said, Jesus is Lord. And he echoed the foundation that Neil had placed. And he said, but I want to unpack what it means to be a slave of Jesus. And that word doulos, where we're not our own owners, we're not servants, but it's, we're actually slaves. We're his possession. We have no rights anymore. Better start my time, but it's here too. And the word that I was feeling was that we've been created for a purpose. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't know. There's a lot of people out there who are looking for the meaning of life. And that's very broad. The what is the meaning of life? But a lot of us actually ask, what's the meaning of my life? Because at the end of our days, when we put our head on the pillow and we fall asleep for the final time, we want to know that our life has counted for something. That it has meant something, that it's made a difference, that we didn't breathe all of our days. I love that picture of the water flowing out the side. You know that your life can leak out the side and be gone in an instant and go into a dry, parched soil and never bear any fruit. And God comes to tweak the wrench and to say, no, I want your life to flow in a specific direction. God has created you for a purpose. And while I was prepping this, I also felt the Lord want me to expose the schemes schemes of the enemy. Do you know that God has a specific purpose for each of your lives? Specific. Unique only to you. Nobody else in the rest of history can fulfill your purpose that God has placed on your life. And I'm going to unpack that. But the devil will do everything to destroy that purpose in your life. And so his first plan and purpose for your life is don't walk through the doorway. Don't get saved. But for those who've walked through the doorway, he says, there's nothing more. You can just rest and sit and wait for eternity to come. And it's a wasted life. I want to unpack that. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 16, it says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You know, it's often said that if I say I have mumps, but I have measles, you're going to catch, you, even if I say I've got mumps, you will actually catch measles. And the thing is that what we believe, what we believe about ourselves, other people will catch it. We can go out onto the street and tell people to get saved and that God's got a purpose for your life. He wants to save you. There was some of the anointing that came your direction, Nicole. <laughs> but actually, if we don't believe it and we're not living it, they will never be transformed. So what do you believe this morning? Do you believe that God has handpicked you? In fact, He didn't handpick you like you were some random creation. No. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that He actually knit you together in your mother's womb. That means that your life is not the product of chance. It's not the product of the love between a husband and a wife or even outside of marriage 
or even, dare I say it, the product of a rape. God foreknew you before the creation of the world. And He handpicked you. And He said, I'm going to place infinite purpose on your life. So before, I'd love to go around the room and say, Dion, this is what God has for you. Ken, this is what God has for you. Cam, this is what God has for you. Cam, I can tell you. No, I'm just taking I'd love to tell you what, it, what the Lord has for each one of you. I can't. But what I can tell you is how to find out what He has for you. Because the specific will of God for your life is always going to be found in the general. I'll give you an example. God hates adultery. He hates it. And He hates fornication. And He hates sex outside of marriage. So if I said, I feel like God's saying to me, that I can leave my wife because I no longer love her and find somebody else. I can know without a doubt that that is not God's will for my life. Why? It falls outside the boundaries of the general. God's already said, I love marriage. I put a man and woman together. So the specific purpose in your and my life will come through God's general purpose. And as we walk in the general, we'll find the specific so before we go to the general reason why God created mankind, let's go to the general purpose for God's entire creation. I'm not going to read all the scriptures because I can see I'm going to we're on way short on time. Before we look at creation, so we're going to take even one step further. Let's look at the creator. Who is God and what is he? Because if we see the creator, we can understand why he created. God is infinite. Colossians 1 verse 17 says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. God was there before the beginning. In the beginning, God created. He was there before time. God is infinite. God is self-sufficient. There is nothing that you or I can offer Him. Let's settle that. He is self-sufficient. He has life in and of Himself, the Word says. And in Ephesians 3 verse 16 it says, I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources... He will empower you. His glorious unlimited resources. God doesn't need us. That picture that Isaac had. So incredible. Like Isaac didn't need Judah to, to, Judah to help him. But something of God wants to partner with us in a love relationship. God is omnipotent. Omni meaning all. Potent being powerful. God is all powerful. He can do anything that his nature and character wills. God will never go against his nature and character. But he has the ability to do anything. God is omniscient. Omni-all. Scient, knowing. God is all-knowing. When I read that, I actually start to think, like, God, if you're all-knowing, and you know the beginning from the end, yes, I have a lot of questions, Lord. Why did you create a creation? And you're all powerful, which means you could have created anything in your design. Why did you create me with the ability to turn against you? Why? But he knew it. And then he knew in his omniscience that he was going to have to send his own beloved son, who's been with him from the beginning of time, to die to save me, his enemy. Why did he do that? God is holy. God's holiness means that He is totally unlike anything else in all of creation. All of His attributes, 
together, combined, make up His holiness. He loves like we don't love. He's merciful like we can never be merciful. He's just like we could never be just. So what was God doing? So when we look at creation, a key to why would God create everything that we see comes from what was God doing before He created these things? And I want to read from John 17, verses 1 to 24, uh, verses 1 to 5 and then verse 24. It says in John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted Him authority over all, the, over all people, that He might give eternal life to, those, to all those that you have given Him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. What was God doing before the creation of the world? He was glorifying himself. The Father would look at the Son, the Son at the Father, the Spirit there, and they were all glorifying one another. In verse 24, it says, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. And so God never goes against his character and his nature. We see him from the beginning of time glorifying one another and loving one another. Perfect unity, perfect love. And then God decides to create. So the question is, why does he create? Let me first define this thing, one more attribute of God, which is called his glorious. God's glory is this. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. I'm going to say this a little bit flippantly off the record, but God did it to show off. God created because he wanted something outside of himself that would totally display his glory to everything. And he creates man with the knowledge that man will eventually turn away from him and have his son crucified to show his glory. God wanted to display his works that when anyone looks at it, they look and they go, God is infinite. His works the universe is the handiwork of his hands. So God says, we, God, are going to display our glory through creation. And God starts creation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies display his handiwork. So everything that you see, when you look at the universe and and the vast expanse and the infiniteness of it. It speaks of the glory of God. It actually speaks of His character and His nature. When you look at the tiniest little atom, you see the attentiveness to God. This is who He is. All of creation cries out the glory of God. And it was created for His glory. Finally, we read in Genesis 1 that God says... Okay, let me create man in my image. And so out of the dust, God creates man and he breathed life into man. 
The only creature that God puts his own breath into and breathes life into. Everything else was just created. We are created in the likeness of God. And God's purpose in us was that when all of when creation looks at us, when the heavenly powers and principalities look at us, we reflect God's image. David is so blown away by this, this incredible um, concept. You know, you've got the sun, this incredibly big burning ball of whatever. And yet God places his image on us. We actually became the pinnacle of God's creation. And David writes in Psalm 8, and I want to read the whole thing. It's just beautiful and mind-blowing. It says this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and all herds, the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, all that swim, the paths of the seas. Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So God creates this creation. And then he creates man, the pinnacle of creation that we can see. And he says, now, I want you to bear my image. I want you to tend for the world and take care of it. I want you to have dominion. He places authority over us. The same way God has authority and dominion. He says, you're going to have dominion over this creation. The problem is that as much as God has the plan for your life, God has a very real enemy who hates him and fell away from God's plan for him. Lucifer was a beautiful angel, the head of all worship in heaven, and he was made beautiful. And in pride and arrogance, he raised himself up against God and wanted to be like God. And he was cast out of heaven and took a third of the angels with him. And Satan knows his end, and he hates God for it. That God's righteous judgment against one of his own created beings that he wants to destroy any purpose and plan of God. He will do anything that God doesn't get the glory. And do you know what that means? That his plan is against you and me. Because there's something of us, something of the image that we bear that God wants to, that the devil wants to destroy in us, that we will no longer bear his image. So on goes the story and we fall away from God's created purpose. We fall short of the glory that he's given us. And the Bible says in Romans 3 that this is not, this is God's, God's plan for us is, is, is universal. He wants us to display his glory. But every, universally as well, we all fall away. As in Christ all are made new, so in Adam, death comes to all men. And the image of God in us is totally eradicated. See, the problem with sin is that it twists us and it bends us out of shape. So where we were once glorious and crowned with honor, no longer are we crowned with honor. Actually, we're now in a place of disgrace. So why did God, I asked the question earlier, why did God give us the ability to sin? Knowing 
that we would turn away from Him. Well, love is a choice. If I don't ever give you a choice, you will only be a reflection of, you'll become a robot. The sun has no choice but to shine. The plants have no choice but to grow. But you and I have the choice to walk in God's purposes for our life and to love Him or to walk away from Him. We need to make a choice. And we all have fallen short of this. So why didn't God just fix it with a snap of a finger? Why does He send Jesus to the cross? I'll tell you why. Because God is all about displaying His glory. And the glory is the manifold presence of His character and His nature and who He is. But in all of the perfection of nature, we don't see some of His attributes. These are the attributes that we don't see. God is gracious and merciful. How are you gracious? What is mercy? Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. Hell and eternal damnation and separation from God. That's what we deserve. And grace is the unmerited favor of God that He places on it. Not having been earned. We don't earn it. And God could not fulfill and show the rest of creation His mercy and His grace and His love if He was not willing to pay the price and to be merciful towards us. God is loving. It's easy to love something that worships you. But how much God displays His love in this, that while we were still His enemies, He dies on a cross for us. You know, the accuser would say, God, when he, when he went for Job, he loves you because, because you've blessed him. But will he love you if you afflict him? Will Jesus love you, God? Will he submit to you? Will he bend to bow to you if you afflict him? What happens, Father, if you send your son to the cross? God says, let's go. He'll love me. God is faithful and just. Zahn brought a word earlier just from Ephesians 1, and I want to, I want to encourage you to go and read Ephesians 1 through 3 because it, it, it shares the purpose and the plans of God for your life. 4 through 6 says how we should live it out, but, but first we must grasp that He has a plan and a purpose for our lives. Ephesians 1, and you don't need to turn there, it says, in love, God predestined us, all of humanity, not the select few, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace. Our adoption to sonship restores the glory that we are able to give Him. And because Jesus gets the glory when we become adopted. In Him, we have the redemption through His blood. That means we've been redeemed. We have been bought back at a price. You were once a slave to sin, as Andrew said. But now you become God's slave. The price that you could never pay, God pays for you. But the cost of that is that you still become a slave. You become the property of God. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, the mystery of his plans and purposes. 
according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring all unity to things in heaven and on earth under Christ. You know, when, when, when all eternity wraps up and, and there's judgment and God creates a new heaven and a new earth, this is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to take it all and he's going to say, Father, look what you gave me. It's for your glory. I now lay it at you, your feet. That's the purpose of why God has redeemed us. That's the purpose. He wants us to bring glory to the Father and that the Father glorify the Son and the Son gives glory back to the Father. So you have been created for a purpose. That means that you are useful to God. It says in Job 42 verse 2, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. See, there's this song that we sing that says, um, um, Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Nobody can stop God in His plans and purposes. But let me tell you a very scary thought. You can stop the plans and purposes of God in your life. Because he's given you freedom of choice and free will and dominion over your own life. So what is the gospel that we preach? And I just want to use three illustrations. 20 minutes. I'll be another 15. I want to use three things. A letter, a life lesson, and a lotus. Okay, to put my point across. So we've heard that God, we've fallen, and God has a purpose for our life, and He's redeemed us. Okay, so I want to look at this beautiful les, uh, letter. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Philemon. Pen, I'm going to quote your joke here quickly, because Philemon is about, it's a letter to a slave owner, and uh, that slave's name is uh, the only onesie in the, in the Bible, Onesimus, or Onesimus. Thank you. Pen, not Mark. So, so let me give you the background to this letter so we don't have to read the whole thing. But basically, Paul is in chains. He's under house arrest for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. He's in Rome. He's chained to um, a god. And he's under house arrest. And there's a young man who was a slave from a, a, an owner called Philemon who was in Colossae. And that Philemon, funnily enough, was he led a church, yet he had a slave, Philemon, who he was very good to. Sorry, Onesimus. And this Onesimus didn't want to be a slave anymore. So what did he do? He went on the run. Now that has dire consequences. In those days, if you were a slave and you fled, the punishment was crucifixion. When you hear the story of Onesimus, I want you to think about yourself, because the parallels are uncanny. The book of Philemon is actually, Philemon is actually, uh, it's a story of our redemption. The best, or the least that the slave owner would do if he found you was he would brand you with an F on your head. Take a hot iron and he would brand you. I think it was fugitivus, fugitive. 
And from the rest of your life, you are marked as a fugitive. So, Philemo, so Onesimus escapes um, um, his master, steals money, and goes to a big city to hide, to Rome. And there in Rome, he meets this man named Paul, who used to be Saul of Tarsus. And his fate is changed forever. And so we're going to read, starting in verse 9 together. I'm reading, I think, from the NRV. I appeal to you instead. So now, sorry. So um, Paul is sending Onesimus at the end of the letter. He writes and he says, I'm sending him back to you. So Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon to go and face his previous slave master. And this is the letter that he writes. Because Onesimus was probably petrified, knowing that he should be crucified. And not knowing what his master would say. So from verse 9, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. Our Paul as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, literally in chains, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful, both to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation but out of free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my very own hand. I will repay it, not to mention that you owe me even your very self. The interesting thing was that actually Philemon, the slave owner, the one who's leading the church, had also gotten saved under Paul's ministry. And so here's this young man, how's God's hand in his life, who meets this man who saved, who uh, Philemon was saved under his ministry, and now he writes back a letter of appeal for Onesimus. And the parallels of the gospel are just so close together that he was a slave and he was deserving of death and crucifixion. And Paul says, I send him back to you with my own heart that Jesus has done the same for us. We fell away from being useful. And the play on the word Onesimus is this. Onesimus means useful. But Onesimus had become useless to his boss. But in, uh, Paul sends him back useful. And when we fell out of God's created purpose for our lives, we became useless to God. We no longer gave Him glory. We no longer gave Him praise. When people look at our lives as fallen man, people, there's no glory for God. We become useless to Him. And what's the ultimate end to something that's useless? Destruction. The trash dump. The rubbish heap. That was our destination before Jesus saved us. 
But now that he saves us, he sends us back to where we originally came from, the one to who created us and made us with purpose. And he says, I'm sending them back to you, Father, with my own heart. Whatever they owed you, I've paid in full. Father, please find them useful. The problem with a lot of the gospel that we have nowadays, and it's what Neil preached on Savior and Lord, is that people want the Savior. They want to come through the door. But Lord, Lord means that we're obedient, that we actually have a use to the Master. And that's God's plan for you and my life. That's His general purpose for you and my life, that we would actually move through salvation, through the process of justification, into being useful for God. And that we would be used. So God starts a process in our lives. How many of you know that when you first get saved, you look nothing like Jesus? So a lot of people want to preach a gospel, you've got your Savior, fire damage. You can just relax, just wait. But we've missed the point of salvation. Salvation is that God works His plans and purposes through your life entirely that you, in Romans, um, I think it's 8.29, that you become conformed to the image of Christ. So you come through the doorway, but now God says, right, now the journey begins. Now the process begins. I need to make you look like my son. So here's the life example. Imagine I said to you, come to my house. I want you to come and visit and spend time with me. And you receive the invitation and you come and you ring on the door and I open the door and I greet you and we're so happy to see one another. And I turn and I walk into my house and you stand at the door. You're so, technically, you've come to my house. You have. You've come to my house. But I'm sitting at the table waiting for you. I'm building Lego something that I want to do with you. you know, I'm wanting to spend time with you and build relationship with you. I'm wanting to um, show you all the other things that I had planned, but you get stuck at the door. Or imagine, like we went a couple of years back to Disney World and to Universal Studio. And the one thing about Universal Studios and Disney World is their entrances are elaborate. Trust me, when you see it, you're like, I wish this is what my front door looked like. You've got decorations, and it's just incredible. And there's an excitement as you walk through the door and you marvel at this entrance. But you can't stop there. You can't stop at the entrance. Because you didn't go to Universal Studios to stand at the doorway and watch everyone else on the rides. You've got to keep going. It's only the entry point. But a lot of times a gospel is preached that's a self-centered gospel about you need to be saved from hell. That's the part of the truth. The price and the, penal the penalty of sin is death and eternal separation from God. But that is merely the doorway into the reason God saved you. He saved you to be useful. I love what Paul writes, which I've thrown on the floor. Paul writes in Philippians 3 from verse, from verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so that somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, and this is the important part, or I've already arrived at my goal. Paul's right in the New Testament. He's writing letters. He's seeing people saved. And he's saying, I haven't arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Christ Jesus did not take hold of Paul to save him from hell merely. He took hold of him for a purpose. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You are not a product of chance. Before God created the world, before the fall of man, before all these things, God knit you together. And Psalm 139 says, I had written in my book every day ordained for you. It sounds like he has a plan for your life. How do we walk into that plan? And remember that that plan will ultimately bring him glory. I love the words that we sang, for from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. We read in Romans 1 that the problem with mankind now is that we no longer retained God as God and gave him the praise that was due his name. So he gives us over to sin. God's plans will not be stopped. Let me tell you, and this is something very hard sometimes for our, our, our head to get around is, you will give glory to God whether you follow him or not. I just want to find the scripture. I'll reference it. Where God says, I have raised up Pharaoh for my glory. You know, the interesting part was that I think it was five times Pharaoh had the opportunity to let God's people go so that they could give him glory. And after five times of Pharaoh hardening his own heart, God said, right, my purposes will prevail, but I'll get glory through your destruction. And so one day, and we hate to hear this, even those going to hell will be to the glory of his name because he's just and holy and he has to punish sin for what it is. But he's made a way out. People need to take it. So how do I walk into the plans and purposes that God has for my life? I'm going to give four steps and then that's it. I'm done. I'll finish with the story of the lotus. Four steps. The first one is, if you want to walk into the plans and purposes that God has for your life, the specific ones, the first is that you're called to know Him. John 17 verse 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You cannot have eternal life without knowing Him. You enter the door through knowing Him, and you follow Him all the way to the grave. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. I am the way. Follow me. Become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a disciple of someone unless you know them. You have to know God. 
We all, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of our Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we spend time with Jesus, as we spend time with the Father and we get to know Him, He transforms us because we see Him. We see the image, the perfection that we were meant to be. And God starts to do a work in us in his spirit, by His Spirit. But we have to know Him. We have to spend time with God. You will never, ever walk into God's perfect plan for your life if you're not spending time with Him. Know Him. The second is, we're called to walk in obedience. The reason man walked out of his created purpose from God is because he was disobedient. Don't eat the tree from that, the fruit from that tree. I'm going to eat it. The devil made it look so tempting. And he ate it. He was disobedient to God, ultimately. In John 10, verse 3, it says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Are you hearing the voice of God? If I said to you, what is God speaking to you at the moment? What is he saying to you? You should be an inkling of your heart of areas that God is wanting to change and transform. He should be challenging you. He should be asking you for things that are obedient. We've got to follow his voice and be obedient. So the first is that we spend time with him. The second is that we walk in obedience to him and hear his voice. The third is that we actually, we have to walk free from the power and the presence of sin. He paid a price that on justification, you are no longer seen as guilty. God sees you as righteous. But that righteousness still needs to work through itself in you. I'm not free of the presence of sin in my life. I can tell you that now because I know who I am and I know my thoughts. But God wants to work a process in me where the power of sin is totally defeated. And God has broken the power, but we have to walk by the Spirit in order to fulfill that. Galatians 5 talks about the flesh and the Spirit waging war against one another. My old man, the flesh, wants what I want. But if I walk by the Spirit, I have life. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us. God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Jesus Christ, who gave um, himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do good. You cannot be his very own. You cannot walk into his purposes unless you're dealing with sin in your life. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul writes to Timothy and he says that in, in a household, there are many items, some made of wood and clay and some made of gold and silver. Those who separate themselves from unrighteousness, from sin, will be made of gold and silver. They'll be pure, useful for every noble task for every holy purpose and the last thing is so the first one was know him spend time with him the second is hear his voice and walk in obedience 
The third is remove sin from your life. Get rid of it. It's stopping you from walking in His, in his purpose for your life. And the last one is fellowship. You cannot walk in God's calling for your life on your own. It's impossible. Jesus was not God on his own. Three. God cannot display his glory and his grace and his unity, the unity of his character, unless we become unified. That takes more than one person coming together. In fact, it takes many. Also, you do not contain all the gifts of the Spirit. You cannot, in and of yourself, reflect the glory of God. Ephesians 3, verse 10 says, His intent was that now through the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities. The church, when it's held up, should reflect Jesus, a beautiful bride, that when Satan and his angels look at it, they tremble because they tremble at God. And God gives us gifts of the Spirit. You can read in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12. He gives each one of us a gift for the common good, that my gift benefits you and your gift benefits me, and that all together we built up. Ephesians 4, verse 11. The gifts of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors are given for the building up of the body. God wants to use His church and fellowship to display His glory. You have to find a healthy church and be in it. And this is the last scripture I want to use. John 17, verse 4. And this is when Jesus prayed. He said, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Your life cannot bring glory, the full glory to God if you do not finish the work that he's given you to do. You, not mankind, you specifically. And you'll walk in that as you know him, as you walk in obedience, as you rid your life from sin by the power of the Spirit. And as you fellowship with others. So the last L, the Lotus story. A few years, in 2020, my father passed away and one of the things that he had was a love for cars. I love cars as well and driving cars. And uh, he had this car called a Lotus. A Lotus was um, originally built, everyone's smiling because you've all seen the breakdowns. I wish, ba is Bayer's here? No, thank you the Lord for that man's legs, because we had to push it once, but I, I received this, then the whole, the mantra of Colin Chapman, who made Lotus, was simplify, then add lightness, and it was to make a light car that can go fast, not a lot of power inside, but because it was weightless, there was no sin on it, it could go really fast, so I inherit this car, Louis was first there, we uncovered it, and we went for a drive, but there were flat spots, push the accelerator, you kind of like, it's like a city golf going past you. And this is, it like looks like a sports car, but it was just stuttering and stammering and going nowhere. So through a long series of troubles, I decide I can't have this. I can't have the image and not go fast. So I decide through many tears to drop a brand new engine into it, Poof, a new heart into my Lotus. I give it a new heart. This thing is a 1.8 turbo. It's got fully forged conrods and pistons. You can rev this thing and drive it to the max without breaking it. On top of that, but then I still had more issues because the ECU wasn't right. The ECU is the thing that controls the heart. 
And so I had to put in a new ECU that programs it on how to run well. God gives us a new way of thinking. And finally, this thing is finished. It has launch control. It does more to 104 and a half seconds. I'm selling it because it scares me. But the purpose of that car and the reason why I put so much, in, so much into giving it a new heart and a new mind was for a purpose. I didn't do it to park it in my garage. I don't want to tell you I've got a Lotus, but not have a smile on my face as I say it. To never drive the thing fast and hear the pops and the crackles and the bangs coming out the back. I want to get in that car and go fast because that's what that car was created to do. And it's a pity. Most of the Ferraris parked on Fre in, up in Fresne just sit in a garage. Can you imagine a Formula One car sitting in a garage, never being driven? The problem is that for many, and I'm pointing here, but I'm pointing to the world, that's what happens. God rescues us and restores us and redeems us and adopts us, and we sit and we become useless. But God's purpose for your life is that you will bring him glory, that he will drive you like a race car. And you won't always get it right. You'll need to tweak it and tune the ECU. And he'll work on you till the day you die. He'll work on you. Trust me. But his purpose is that you bring him glory. So we're not called just to go through the doorway. We're called for a purpose. What's God's purpose on your life? Are you walking in his will and his purpose and his plan for your life? Or is salvation for you a way to enter into heaven only? Because like that picture of the water coming out the side, you can waste your life. God needs to tweak so that your life flows in a specific direction for his created purpose, for the glory of his name. Amen? I'm going to stop the time. I know that was a little bit longer than intended. But what I do want to do is I want to give us a, a chance to respond this, this morning. Amy, can you come up? Now we've got power. I don't know if the sound team's got it running. So the first thing is, is a part that I labored on quite a lot is that we actually have fallen away from the purposes and the glory of God, His created purpose in our life. And that comes through this thing called sin, which separates us from God. And unless sin is dealt with and Jesus becomes your Savior, you will never, ever walk in God's purposes for your life. You can't even move into the next step because it is the doorway to Universal Studios. It is the entryway into God's household. God has paid an unthinkable price with His own precious blood to redeem you and I back to Himself. Not good works. Our own good works will only fall short of His glory. We have to rely on His blood and the price that He paid. It is a grace gift. He was displaying His glory in His grace and His mercy when He died for us. But you have to accept it. You have to walk through the door. You have to be willing to say, God, like all who've fallen short of your glory, I've fallen short and I need you to save me. I can't fix myself. Can we close our eyes? If that's you this morning and you've never said, Jesus, 
I need you to save me. I can't pay this price. At the end of the day, someone needs to pay the price for your sin. It'll be you, it'll be Jesus. Those are the two options. And he justifies us freely because he paid a precious price. And if there's anyone like that here this morning who has never accepted the finished work of the paid price of your sin on the cross this morning, if you've never accepted that, would you raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you and to welcome you into the kingdom, into the household. The Bible says that the God looks, He's watching. And as even one person responds to this message, He loves to get off His throne and to welcome them. Is there anyone like that this morning? Okay. And then for us, do we see salvation as fire damage? I just want to make sure I'm saved. It's enough for me to be saved and to know that one day I will go to heaven. Even if it is as one escape in the flames. I'm happy to get into heaven smelling like smoke. I want to say, tell you this morning, you're missing out. Your life is leaking. It's been wasted. God handpicked you from the beginning of time, before it. And he created a purpose for your life. He paid the price, and he's given you gifts to fulfill the plans that he has for you. But it's your job to walk in it. That's a journey that he will take you on as you spend time with him, as you walk in obedience to him, as you rid your life of sin, and as you walk in fellowship with others. And one day, if you do all those things, You'll get to the doors of heaven and God will be standing there off his throne. He'll say, welcome, my son. I've been waiting for you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You glorified me. Now I will glorify you. So I don't want to tell you how to respond. I know for myself, I don't always walk in God's purposes and plans for my life. I'm distracted. I tinker with sin. Don't see the, the damage that it's going to cause until you've done those things. Don't resolutely pursue the presence of God. Maybe He speaks and I don't obey His voice. He's all things that are part of the enemy's plan, actually, to take us away from God's purposes and plans for our lives. And we need to be ruthless with it. Just say, God, I'm yours. You created me for your glory. I will partner with you in pursuing your glory in my life. So we're going to go into a time of worship. It's a heart. It's a heart response. You can come forward in worship can pray, speak to someone else, ask someone to pray for you, whatever you need to do to say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'll do whatever it takes. Okay.